Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 23. And we're going to finish it today. Yeah. Everyone's like super excited. Um, All right, Psalm 23. I'm just going to read it in case you don't know it by now. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, where are we at? Does anybody know? Seriously. Oh, Psalm 24. We're at Psalm 24. Um, not yet, not yet. A few more weeks till we get there. No, actually, so we're at, my cup runneth over. Um, so before we get into, because we've been looking at this, um, a shepherd's view of Psalm uh, 23. It's uh, actually um, based on a book by um, W. Philip Keller. Um, and so we have to take into account, as we look at like what the shepherd, how David as a shepherd would view this, we have to also remember that David is an Israelite. So we have to look at this through how an Israelite might look at this, or how an Israelite who's reading this, um, what they might consider when the cup running over is mentioned. Um, just with every single verse in the Bible, there are many, many places where this cup imagery um, is mentioned. And each place, like I said, it's not just like different conflicting um, things this cup could represent. They're all parts of the whole. The, all, all the parts contribute to form this whole idea of a cup running over. So let's begin. We're going to look at this verse as it connects to the ones before. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So last week we talked about how before you came to a feast, it was common to anoint someone's head with oil. So if you've gone to someone's house, they've hosted you, and you fed, and, and they fed you, and they didn't anoint your head with oil, that was a great sign of disrespect. So just so you know that, you might have thought they were trying to build a relationship, but if they didn't put oil on your head, they were disrespecting you, right? I'll, I'll stay up, straight up say that when I go to people's house. I'm like, what's up with the disrespect? Um, we, when we, people come to our house, we use a blend of Stetson and um, CK1, and it makes an amazing smell. Just guys, try it. Don't even just spray it all over and just see. Um, so... Um, it was common to anoint someone's head with oil when they came to a feast, um, but the line, a cup runneth over, is a continuation of that. It's still talking about the invitation to the feast, because in the East, people frequently anointed visitors with oil or some type of uh, fragrant perfume, and then they would give them a cup or a glass of some choice wine and intentionally fill the cup until it was running over. Um, and, the, and the first was meant to show their love and respect with the anointing, and, and the next was meant to show that if that as long as they remained there, while you remain in my house, while you were a guest in my house, then um, uh, there would be an abundance of everything. As long as you are here in my house and I am your host, 
there will be an abundance of everything. And we will see that throughout all the different uses and references to the cup, um, it is meant to show abundance. And we're going to get into the specifics of this abundance and what it means. But I feel that before we press on, we need to understand that the promise of abundance and care came with the stipulation, okay? As long as you remain here. As long as you remain here, as long as I am your shepherd and you are my sheep. Okay, W. Philip Keller tells a story in this book about times that sheep that belonged to another master in a field uh, that bordered his would find a hole or jump a fence and they would get into the pasture uh, because the neighbor um, shepherd's grass was all, he wasn't a good shepherd, didn't take care of the land and so uh, the grass they had to eat was all eaten up. There's a lot of dirt, and so the sheep would find ways into his pasture. Um, and so they would momentarily escape the poor conditions of their master's field. And they would come in, and they would eat their fill, and they would eat so much that they would just like, um, because they hadn't been eating well, they would um, lie down and just be like, just on the ground. And eventually, he would have to put them in a wheelbarrow and take them back to their master. And he said the master would, would most often just like slit their throat um, because that's, you know. Um, and so they tasted, they came in, they tasted of the goodness. They came into his field and tasted of the goodness. But, and you might be like, oh man, why, why would you take them back? But it's because they didn't belong to him. They weren't his sheep. He had to take them back. They belonged to the other shepherd. They never came in through the gate. They came in their own way. They had never come under his ownership or control. They tried to get in on their own. They got into the master's field on their own. And in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the only way into these pastures. We have to surrender control of our lives to him, fully come under his management and his care. Make him our shepherd. He manages us. He takes care of everything, and we are his. Some try to enter. People have done it for years. Try to enter through works. So many people say, I'm a, I'm a good person, and try to enter through works. Cannot be done. You cannot make it on your own. That is not through the gate. Some come to church, and we taste of God. We come in and we taste of God, or maybe we go to a conference and we taste of God. A lot of young people go to like a VBS or they go to like a, a youth um, conference and they taste of God and they maybe even like gorge themselves. Like um, I remember Daisy um, was, went to a doctor um, a long time ago before we started formulating our own potions and we don't need them anymore. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, we do. I, okay. Um, so, but she, she was going to this doctor, and the doctor said, um, and, and she was talking to Daisy, and Daisy kind of told her what she did. And, um, the lady, and the lady was like, you know, um, I don't really go to church. She's like, I felt God once at a youth camp, but not since then. And I just thought it was so funny. I was a youth pastor at the time, so it just totally made me feel like my job was more important than I was feeling. Um, but it was just like, hey, yeah, man, some, so many people say they've tasted of God in their youth. They had an experience with God. So many, so even adults say, I went to something and I felt God, I experienced God, right? 
Or, or like we come to church, people when they're really down, they come to church and they hear a word that gives them hope for a particular situation. They go home feeling better, right? They're like, oh man, that, that was awesome. Or you have an amazing worship experience where you're like, I don't know what was happening, but it was awesome. So we go to church and we get our fill. Or we go to a conference and we get our fill. We taste and we eat and we're like, that was really good. That was amazing. That was awesome. But we never really become his. We just have that experience. And then we go back to the other field. And we don't say, how do I get into this field? How do I make this where I live? We need to make the good shepherd our master. But we don't. We just come in and we taste. And we come in and we taste. And we never come under his management or his control. We never give our lives to him. And so often we're like, why, why are things going wrong? I'm going to go back to church for a day. I'm going to go back to church for a week. Why are things going wrong? You know, and I'm not saying that everything goes right when, you, when you're a Christian or when you're living for God. But what I am saying is we, we use him in like momentary things and we get a taste and we get a taste. But we never really turn our lives over to him and become his sheep. And there's only one gate to this pasture. There's only one way to have this abundance that we're going to talk about and this care. There's only one way, and that is to belong to him, to belong to him. Now, let's talk about the shepherd's cup. This is a picture of a shepherd's cup. Um, slow fade. Okay, that's a shepherd's cup. That's what they drink from at the dinner table. It's just a sign of manliness, masculinity. The bigger the rock, the more amazing they are as a man. They have contests to see if you can lift someone else's cup. Um, it's kind of like um, Captain America's, no, it's not. It's um, Thor's hammer, correct? But he's not a real god. Let's not talk about Thor here in the Christian church, okay? So a, a shepherd's cup in the time of David, so it's, it's a hollowed-out block of stone. It's usually about 30 inches long, 18 inches wide, 18 inches high, and these cups were located by the many wells or springs that are scattered throughout the wilderness, and the shepherd would scoop up water from the well or from the spring and pour it into this cup for the sheep to drink from. Um, but this cup would have been sitting outside for a very long time, much like our cars, right, in the summer. So it was very hot. So the shepherd would pull water out of the well and just keep pouring water in, overflowing the cup, continually overflowing the cup before the sheep would even come to drink it until the rock was cool. And therefore, the water was cool. And then the sheep could come and take their fill. They could come and take their fill. And the shepherd would continue to pour water in, even if the sheep stopped for a minute to take a break, step back. You know when, like, kids, you probably remember when you were out at recess and you came to drink at the water fountain and you're like... <laughs> and then you step back and kids are like, come on, you're done. And you're like, no, I'm just taking a, I'm taking a break before I take my next sip of water. Do you want me to do that? Was that a good sound? That was... All right. Um, that's what it sounds like. You just watch kids out there, and it's like, oh, it's just like water. It's like everywhere. Um, and, and so the, the shepherd makes sure the sheep, even if they step back for a second to breathe, they're, they're, it's not like, hey, move along. He's making sure the water is cool. He's making sure every sheep is done getting their fill. And the good shepherd would keep the cup running over so that they had fresh running water. I mean, he could have just left it there and been like, there, you have water. That's what I do with my cat. I put a bowl in there, and I'm like, there you go. And like, I think most cats, if you have cat, would really prefer a running waterfall to drink from. They like running water, so much so that they'll drink straight out of the toilet, rather than the nice fresh bowl that has sat there for a year without any cleaning, <laughs> right, if it's left up to me. I'm like, stupid cat, eat the water. 
You're lucky to be alive in my house, right? Um, I'm not a good shepherd of cats, straight up. Um, so, but when we belong to him, when we are his sheep, there is a cup overflowing. The sheep have as much as they can to drink, but the shepherd also makes sure it's good. Make sure not only is there an abundance, but it's good. It's good water. He makes sure that it's running and cold and good to the taste. Good for us. An abundance running over, but also good. Or I could say, another way to say that is goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Um, There's a man named C.H. Spurgeon, um, and he used to call goodness and mercy um, God's footman. Um, And for some reason, I think, uh, because I don't know really what footmen are, I just picture Cinderella, and that's how I interpreted what a footman was. But in his day, when traveling, uh, two footmen would take their place at the back of the coach, and their job was to smooth the way for the man during his journey. So we can have an abundance of goodness and mercy to smooth the way on our journey. And the word here used for good is T-O-W-B, if you're taking notes, T-O-W-B, and it's announced tobe. And so this word used for goodness, it means beautiful, best, bountiful, cheerful, at ease, favor, graciously, joyful, kindness, loving, merry, pleasant, precious. And just think of these things following you all the days of your life. Beautiful, bountiful, cheerful, at ease, favor, grace, joy, kindness, love. Is anyone noticing these words also fall in another scripture? Merry, pleasant, precious, sweet, prosperity, wealth. And so there it is right there. That's it. The goodness of God is prosperity and wealth. Okay, write that down if you're taking notes. I'm starting a new version of the gospel. I created it. I'm going to call it the prosperity gospel. And I have high hopes it's going to go really far. Okay, Um, it's going to go places. People are going to buy into this. Okay, but isn't it funny how we look at this description of goodness and mercy and like there were so many words and then people lock onto the ones they want? You know, well, that sounds good. I want some goodness and mercy all the days of my life. Right? And maybe they don't focus on that, but we, we always focus on the ones that we want. Right? But the goodness of God is so much. What, so what is the goodness of God? What do we have in abundance overflowing in our cup? Money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just going to beat that to the ground. Um, it's not money. Okay. But, all right, so it's impossible for an Israelite. When, when an Israelite, we're talking about, okay, the cups, but God is promising an abundance, a cup running over. He's going to make sure that it's good, right? So there's, there's an abundance of good in my life. But also, for an Israelite, to think of cups, there's, they, in their mind, the four cups of salvation would just spring up. The four cups um, are a reminder of Passover. Uh, we had a Seder supper here last year. Um, we're going to have it again every year. Everyone loved it. Um, and at the Seder supper, there are four cups to drink from to remember the deliverance of God in Exodus. And so if you would, turn with me to Exodus it's the second book after Genesis. And turn to Exodus 6, 6. So each cup, these four cups of salvation, represent the four expressions of deliverance promised by God. The four expressions of deliverance promised by God in Exodus 6, 6. So it says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the four expressions of deliverance that God promises, he says, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own. So the goodness of God brings us out from under the heavy yoke, the burden of sin, frees us from being slaves to our flesh. Jesus redeemed us with outstretched arms, taking us as his own people and making us his, making us his people, his sons and his daughters. So this abundance of goodness and mercy is just an, an abundance of overflowing love that he would take us and make us his own, that the king would take us, lowly us, and make us his own, his people, his children, to, to take us out of our sin, redeem us, make us his own. But his goodness and mercy doesn't just stop there, because that's enough. That's enough. He's done enough with his goodness and mercy with all those things, to take us out and redeem us and make us his own, right? I mean, that is so much. We, we remembered it today. We, we do this in remembrance of what he did because it's so amazing, because it's so awesome. But his goodness and mercy in abundance doesn't stop there. doesn't stop there. And honestly, if we were doing a, a sermon, like I am right now, I guess, if we were doing, uh, on goodness and mercy, you could not describe all of the goodness and mercies of God. And everyone here, if you know the Lord, if you follow him, then you could not even list all the, all the goodness and the mercy that you've seen in your life from God that he has done for you in your life. So there are these, these huge things that he does that are good and, and shows us mercy to, to, to mankind, to his people, but also to each one of us that are specific to us. But the abundance, the abundance never stops. And, and in this psalm, so many characteristics of God are revealed. And in fact, in Psalm 23, 20, no, Psalm 23, that's where I got confused with the numbers. Thir there's 13 names of God being used here, um, describing who he is. So this isn't just a, a, a poem about, hey, um, this is what God does. It's also about who he is, about who he is, okay? So, Let's look at these names of God that are being used, and I'll point out the verses that they're being used in. So the first name is Jehovah Ra, um, which means the Lord, my shepherd. So in that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, it reveals a name of God, Jehovah Ra, meaning the Lord, my shepherd. The next name is Jehovah Jireh, which means uh, the Lord will provide. You might know that if you know the old song, like Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. <laughs> All the songs had clapping. My God will supply. And people were like kicking. We got to bring that back, y'all. Evan's not here. I would charge her with it. Um, so Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. I shall not want. Jehovah Jireh. I shall not want. The next name revealed is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord sends peace. 
um, quietness and rest, which is described in the next line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord who sends peace, quietness, and rest. So remember, remember as you go through these, this is not just what God does. It is who he is. It is who he is. The next name is Jehovah Naka, spelled N-A-K-A-H, Jehovah Naka. And that means the Lord will guide thee. The Lord will guide, which is represented in the line, he leads me beside the still waters. The Lord will guide. He leads me. All right, the next name, Jehovah Rapha, um, R-O-P-H-E, which means the Lord that heals, represented in he restores my soul. Has everybody seen a trend? Right? Represented in he restores my soul. The next name, Jehovah Sidkenu, um, which uh, means the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Represented in the line, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. For, for, well, I don't know if we know yet. Okay. And the next name is Jehovah Shama. Uh, S-H-A. Oh, it's up there. You can read. M-M-A-H which means the Lord is there, represented, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art there with me. The Lord is there. Man, that name is like so reassuring. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. Doesn't that just reassure you, whatever you're going through, you're going through a hard time and you don't have answers and you're praying and you're just like, God, uh, some of the times when we, when we need joy and we don't have it or we need peace and we don't have it, the thing that gives us peace is when he reveals to us that he is there, that he's still there. So the Lord is there. And notice that comes in the line, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is there. The Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. The next name um, is Divine Father, um, which is actually um, used in, I'm not going to do that, in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, through 1 uh, verse 3. And it says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So this name means the God of comfort, represented in thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, the next name is Jehovah Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H, which means the Lord of hosts, represented in you prepare a table before me. He's hosting. And the last name, I think. No, it's not. Sorry. Um, the Lord, the anointing one. And this name is used in Leviticus 10.7, where it says, Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. And this, represent, this is represented in you anoint my head with oil. Uh, the next name, Jehovah the Lord, um, the, the word um, used means the satisfying one. The satisfying one. 
And this word is used, this name is used in Jeremiah 31, 12. And I didn't use all the scriptures where the names are used outside because um, these ones I thought were the ones that were a little bit more that might need a little explanation. Um, but this scripture, Jeremiah 31, 12, says, They will come and shout for joy on the house of ha. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord." the satisfying one, represented in my cup runneth over. My people will be filled with my bounty. The next name is Jehovah Gamula, which means the Lord of recompense or reward, um, represented in goodness and mercy shall follow me. And the last name is El Olam, the everlasting God. Represented in the final line, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this whole thing, this whole thing, and I hope that you can read, because Psalm 23, sometimes scripture, when we've read it a lot, it starts to like lose its meaning or starts to lose like the way that it hit us. I remember, um, man, I'm like blanking today, but it was like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, uh, not to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. And nowadays, people are like, um, oh, man, that's like, a, that's like a beginner verse. If people are like, oh, what's your life verse? I mean, because sometimes when you get in Christian crowds, like people start to be all Christian, you know, where it's like, what's your life verse? And you're like, Jeremiah 29, 11. And like, oh, mine's Ezekiel 13, 13. And everyone's like, what's that? And they're like, exactly. <laughs> you don't know, but I'm such a scholar in the Bible. You know, but like Jeremiah 29, 11, like when, you hit, when it hits you for the first time, Man, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And that's not it. I'm just paraphrasing. Um, I remember how long and how hard that hit me, that God had a plan for me, that when things were bad, he was there, and that he had a plan for my life, for me. And when things, when things would go sour, things wouldn't turn out, or things wouldn't, like, I'd be following him, trying to do something for him, and it didn't work out. And I'd be like, what's going on? What is going on? I don't know what to do. I could go back to that verse and, and say, God has a plan for me. He has a plan for my life, and he knows what he's doing. He's good. So if that's your life verse, you cling to it, okay? And, and if you don't know what a life verse is, it's a Christian thing, so you don't really need a life verse. My life verse is the entirety of the Bible, okay? <laughs> but, like... Uh, but I want to be able to read Psalm 23. I hope that you read Psalm 23 and you see, man, all that God has done and all that God is because it's, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Who he was to David is who he is to us. And so this leads us to the last line of the scripture where David says, after he lists who God is and all God has done, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is where I will dwell this is where I will stay. And if you know David, if you know his story, and one day we'll go through the story of David, but he had a lot of ups and downs, and his downs were really, really, really low. His son tried to take the kingdom from him. Okay? Spoiler alert, his son dies. 
while he's trying to take the kingdom from him. And David, we, I mean, this is just like heartbreaking, heartbreaking. You can't imagine. One time um, Flynn was like, hey, tell me a story in the Bible I don't know. And so I told him that story. He said, one day Absalom tried to take the, ki- the kingdom from David, and he ended up dying, and David still cried. And that's how much daddies love their sons, right? It's a good lesson. But can you imagine? And still David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will stay with you. Things, things are bad. Things are bad. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I don't see a way to come out of this. I don't see a way to move past this. I'm so helpless right now. No one, no one can replace him. No one. My life will never be the same. And yet, the fact, God, that you are there is the only thing that gives me hope. And it doesn't just give me hope for a minute or hope for a day. It gives me hope eternal. I will stay in your house forever. This is the only place I will stay. I will stay in this house forever. It's his final statement, the sheep's final declaration to his shepherd. He's saying, you are so good to me. You are so good to me. You are always there. You're watching over me, preparing the way, protecting me, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't know it. And he knows firsthand as a shepherd that it is not the same for other sheep under, under the management of another shepherd. I've, I've lived outside the field, outside the pastures of the good shepherd. I've lived in and I've left and I've come back. And I can say, uh, since I become a Christian again, I have had traumatic experiences. I've had people hurt me. I've had the church hurt me. I left the church because the church hurt me, because the church failed me, because I felt like the church hurt my family. But, and I was like, never, ever again will I trust God. Never again am I going to trust the church because God allowed this to happen to me. And I saw things a certain way, and I saw it as fact. And maybe you've been there where you've been like, man, I just need to, I thought you had a plan for me, and if this is it, I don't like it. I thought you were good, and this has happened, and I don't like it. And so we leave the fields, and I've seen the pastures outside the good shepherd's pastures, and I've come back, and I've said, I don't care what happens. I don't care how many people in the church hurt me. I don't care if the church hurts me. I don't care if I have to do this all by myself. I don't care if I lose friends. I've been outside the pastures of the good shepherd, and I don't want it. I don't want it ever again. I will never live there. I will never visit there. I don't like to be reminded of the person that I was when I lived in that pasture because I'm a completely different sheep. I am a new creature. I'm a new creature by the blood of the lamb, and I'm never, ever, ever going back. I'm never going back. Can you say that today? Can you say, man, I'm never going back. I don't care what happens. I am never going back. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how alone I feel sometimes. It will be good again because the Lord is good and the Lord has a plan and his plan is not to harm me, but to give me hope and a future. But my hope is not in that future. My hope is in the good God that has a plan for my future. I'm never going back. I am never, ever going back because God is so good. And so long ago, David, the shepherd in a field, this young man writing this, just describing how he feels about God. So much later, I am here, a young man, thinking to myself, I know what David is talking about. I don't know anything about sheep. 
I don't know anything about shepherds, but I know for a, I know that he's tasted of the Lord's goodness, like I have tasted of the Lord's goodness. And it's been different, and it's looked different, and we're in different times and different eras, but God's goodness is still the same. God's goodness is still the same. It will never change, and God will get us through, no matter how dark, no matter how alone, no matter how, what kind of mistakes we've made, no matter how much the church has hurt us, no matter what kind of sin we've been in that makes us think we can't be in the church because we, we don't deserve the church. Who cares about whether you deserve the church? God has made it so that we are his children, and this is his house, and we belong here, and I am never going back. I'm never, ever going back. I want to live under his care because his care is meticulous. He cares about the big things. He cares about the small things. And you may not believe it, but he cares about them more than you do. He cares about them more than you do. And just like David, who looks back and thinks, why would I ever leave this place? Why would I ever leave the goodness of God? May I remind you, the goodness of God is not money. It's not, it's not like things are always perfect. It's not like, man, I applied for a job and I got that job because I prayed and it's the best job. Sometimes that may not work out, but you will find that what does end up happening when you can look back, when God gives you the wisdom, you can see, man, I'm glad it didn't work out how I wanted. I'm glad it worked out how God wanted. And it reveals that much more God is good. Man, God, thank you. We can thank him. Lord, thank you for not giving me what I desired so much. Thank you so much that you didn't let my life be perfect because through your goodness, I see that that thing needed to be given over to you. You're never going to find peace or joy anywhere outside of God, outside of what he's done through Jesus. And I just hope that as a church, and if, if you're going through a hard time right now, or if you don't know Jesus, or if you've been hurt by the church, I hope you've been hurt by this church. We're, we're people. We're all people. We're broken. Okay? Christians are not always good. But you know who is good? God is good. God knows. God cares. God is the only one who can repair. God is the only one who can make it all right again. He's the only one that can take something broken and awful and turn it, not just so that it equals zero again, but that it's good. I've seen it in my life, and I declare I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you that you are so good. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you have made a way let us not forget you made a way for us to dwell in your house forever. That, that not by our actions, not by our mistakes, not by our sin, not by the choices that we make can be, we be removed from your pastures when we enter through the gate. I just thank you and I praise you for your goodness. I thank you that you are there. Lord, I just pray that your people, that we would taste of your goodness that we could taste of your goodness, Lord. I want everyone in this room. I want everyone in this I want the whole world, Lord, but if we start with this room, I want everyone in this room to be able to say the same thing, not because it's our duty as a Christian or not because it feels sinful to say something different, but because we truly feel in our hearts, why would I ever leave? Why would I ever leave 
God, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. And may our lives praise you. We're never going to deserve it with our actions. We're never going to deserve your goodness, Lord. So instead, we praise you and we worship you and we honor you for your goodness. We praise you and worship you and we honor you for what you've done. We praise you and we worship you and honor you for what you're continuing to do, Lord. We trust you and we give our lives over to you, the management, the care, the decisions, every aspect of our life, Lord. The questions that we may never get answers to this side of heaven, Lord. We just declare it does not matter. We do not care what happens. We will follow you where you lead. I just pray that you would make that the cry of our hearts. Lord, we will follow you where where you lead. We will stay by your side. We will follow you all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.